Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. And while you're flipping over there, uh, we just started this sermon series and we'll be going in this uh, sermon series for quite a while. Um, And here's our whole goal is is that we are people who uh, desire to be more and more like what uh, God set up the church in Acts. And so we just want to dive through this book and really just uh, pull out what is for us in terms of where is our church headed? What is our church doing? What can we look more like the biblical church looks like? And so um, last week we talked about the whole entire uh, setup of Acts and what uh, Luke, the author, um, is talking about. And the whole entire book of Acts hangs on this one scripture, Acts 1.8. And here's what it says. It says, but you... After asking all these questions, after them asking, hey, would you set up our, would you set up the nation of Israel like this? Would you do these things for us? And he said, hey, I don't know that time, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, throughout Judea in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You could put it like this if you really, um, if, if I want to be honest, this is what I would say for us. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Glasgow, throughout Valley County, in Montana, and to the outer ends of the earth. And so we want to just keep looking at that and keep looking about how God is bringing us into being his witnesses. And the whole entire book is set up the rest of that way. Today, though, I, uh, not today, though, but I want to get into uh, the next part of Acts, and it's Acts chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 12. Let's read it together. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of a half a mile. Some of you guys might say, and a Sabbath day's walk in your scripture, if you're reading something different, it's... That makes me kind of laugh because really uh, I think Luke is just making fun of all of the people that he had just described how Jesus ascended and then he's making this little joke that's saying, eh, they're headed back. And just for you people who want to keep the law on a Sabbath, you can't walk more than a half a mile. I think he's kind of digging at them going, hey, the scripture's already been fulfilled, Jesus is going, but I find it hilarious that he says, And for those of you who want to be super serious, about a half a mile, so don't think they walk too much. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Not Judas Iscariot, just so that all of you guys are aware. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, with no one living in... Sorry, uh, wow, you, you were really spot on with that, Tony. Wow. He said... 
the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one of those of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all of his intestines. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic named El Kadama, which means field of blood. Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men have chosen as which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry. For he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. Would you pray with me? God, this scripture is here for a reason. You don't skim over things, and you don't leave You don't put things in without reason. And so, God, as we open up this word, as we crack into it, Lord, would you show us our hearts? Would you show us where we're at? And would you help us to walk in your guidance and direction? In your name we pray. Amen. Some of you believe, uh, I, I'm, right before I go into the scripture, uh, some of you probably read this portion with me and just go, wait a second, I thought Judas hung himself, right? And so I did the exact same thing. I, when I was reading, I was like, wait, this is brand new for me? I've never read this before. Uh, but uh, I looked at a couple of different things, and here's what they think happened, is, is that, Ju- that Judas did go and hang himself, but because he went off and he ran alone by himself, they believe what happened is his body bloated, became so heavy that it broke the tree branch, and he fell down, and all of his innards spill out. So uh, there's your rated R for the day. Great, moving on. Uh, I want to uh, start out this sermon series asking you the question, um, do you realize that reputation matters? Do you realize that reputation matters? As we dive into this piece of scripture, there are basically three areas in reputation that I think are on the line, and we need to dive into those because as the church is about to be set up, and we talked about this last week, that the Holy Spirit is coming. Jesus has already promised this. Jesus says, it's coming, be ready for it, go back, continue to pray, and wait for it. But in the meantime, there is this piece of scripture that Luke adds in. And I kept on thinking over and over again, why is this in the scripture? What is the whole point? And I I think it is to set up for us how 
in a few time, in just a little bit that between these 10 days that reputations are changed, that reputations are secured, and that the reputation of the church moving forward is built on just a great foundation. And so the very first reputation I think we need to talk about today is the reputation of Jesus. As we look at this, there is 120 people gathered in a room on the life of one person. They're all there surrounding gaining and putting their life into perspective because of one single guy who came on the face of the map, lived for 33 years, was killed by, by everybody, hung on a cross, and was resurrected. You've heard me talk about this before, and, I, and I'm going to keep reiterating it because I think it is so true that this reputation is incredibly important because it sets up the whole rest of church history for us. If they don't get this right, man, we, we are in trouble. And the reason why I say that is this, because Jesus wasn't the first person ever to come on the scene to say, I'm the Messiah. Man, there, there are people coming on the scene all the time saying, I'm the chosen one. I'm going to save Israel. And they all died. People thought that they were weird. People thought, how can this be? You don't understand any of these things. And then there was Jesus who died. But there's one thing that changes his reputation around completely, and it's this, is that he said that in three days he would rise again. Jesus' reputation is built on one single act, and it is the fact that he was resurrected. If he was not resurrected, his reputation would be exactly what everybody else thought it was. But for those of us who don't come, haven't come to that point of going, yep, Jesus is the resurrected person, I think that I need to bring you along in three things that Jesus can only be in this world. If we're talking to anybody who believes in Jesus or doesn't believe in Jesus or, or has never heard the name of Jesus or is listening to this story for the first time, there's only three things that Jesus can be in this world. And the first one is, in this situation, okay, the first one is, in his life, is he a liar? Why? Why is he not a liar? I'll tell you a couple things. One is, is that, man, he said what was going to happen, and it happens. He knew scripture front to back. He, he uh, tried to be caught in all sorts of lies. People tried to trap him. And he said, well, actually, no, it's like this. He knew the Bible front to back. He understood it. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he could answer at any single time. The whole reason why he was killed was because they couldn't find a lie in him. And so if he can't be a liar in this world, well, then the second thing that he could be is he has to be a lunatic. He has to be a lunatic. thing about that is that lunatics can't keep their stories straight. Lunatics might have this grandiose idea, but I'm, I'm sorry, it's, 
It's all over the map. They can't keep things organized. They can't keep going. Maybe they're, man, when being caught in a trap, they, they don't know what they said from one thing to the next. I'm here to tell you that a liar who, doesn't, who knows that the truth in them is, I'm going stepping back a little bit, but a person, man, if, you, if you're a liar, I'm sorry, it's going to be really hard for you to, to just continue to be, be beaten over and over again, whipped over and over again, and still maintain that you are who you say you are. If you're a lunatic, you'll never keep your story straight, so it really doesn't matter. You'll be all over the map and people will just know that you're a crazy person. And so if you want to have fun after just taking those notes, cross out a liar and a lunatic and just go, or he has to be the Lord. It's based on this simple fact that the resurrection happened. That he said that he would die and three days later be rose again, would be risen again. You see, the thing is, is then what happens is the people in the upper room, man, if Jesus was a liar, they wouldn't be in the upper room hanging out. They would already know that it was a lie. In fact, if you want to go into a little bit more detail about, about uh, Jesus appearing to people, he appeared in the 40 days that he was there over to over 500 people. Try to get 500 people to get one lie correct. Keep it straight. If I knew something was a lie and you offered me a million dollars, you bet I'm taking the million dollars. The people in the room knew that he wasn't a lunatic because they knew what he was saying was absolutely true. They could look back in scripture and go, wait a second, you're right. The things in what he's saying, the, the walk to Emmaus in the end of Luke 20, chapter 24, he sits there and goes, didn't we realize that this was the truth? Didn't we understand, didn't, didn't something in our hearts burn with, within us to know that this is true? So you have 120 people sitting in this upper room who all have reputations. And Jesus' reputation is the one that is just proven. He's been saying who he is all along. I'm the bread of life. I am your Messiah. I, I'm your Savior. I am, I am everything you need. I'm the Son of God. And it comes true because of the resurrection. There are a lot of things that people have followed that are complete and utter lies, but at the end, we understand them to be lies. Someone brought up to me this week thinking, well, people do die for a lie. What about those people who believed that, like, the, that Haley's Comet was going to come by and sweep by and take them all up? And so they all sacrificed themselves because that was when the world was going to end. Well, guess what? Their reputation, their proof is that nothing happened. All the people that said Y2K was going to be the end of the world, sell everything you got, we're, 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 <laughs> the end of the world is nigh. Guess what? Nothing happened. 
Jesus Christ comes on the scene and says, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to be risen three days later. Guess what? He died and was risen three days later. The whole entire church is built upon Jesus' reputation. That he is who he said he is, and he does what he says he's going to do. And so now you have 120 people sitting up in this room, waiting for 10 days, praying and saying, God, what's next? But here's the problem. You have Thomas, who is the doubter. You have Peter, who is the denier, who says he doesn't know anything about Jesus. You have James and John, who have been fighting tirelessly about who is going to be the best in the kingdom of God when Jesus comes back. You have Matthew, who is the tax collector, who has cheated tons of people out of money. You have Philip that doesn't really understand anything unless you show him just the facts, ma'am. You have James and all the other half-brothers of Jesus who have been his whole entire life going, man, this guy is crazy. And they are all now up there saying, wait a second. We have seen Jesus, the resurrected one. And in this very moment, they realize a Jesus changes their reputation. And if you're taking notes with me, this is what you can write in that space. Our past reputations can be changed in the light of Jesus. We see it later on that says, man, I am a, those who have followed Christ are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. When we look at all of these people in the 120 in this room, the number one thing they had is they were complete deserters of Jesus Christ when he died. They all walked away. They didn't even believe what he said. In fact, actually, um, so much so that his own mom takes stuff to prepare his body so it's good for burial. There's not a single person in that room that didn't desert Jesus. And Jesus shows up to them for 40 days and teaches them scripture. And in fact, Luke 24, he says this. He says, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And in fact, that's Luke 24, 44. And the reason why I love that piece of scripture is because he comes back to all the deserters and every single one of them, whether they're doubters, deniers, whether they're always fighting, cheaters, man, they are sitting there, he's sitting there going, man, let's move forward. Let's start the church. You do not have to be defined by your past. Let's move forward and start making the right choices in our life. And so they're in this upper room. And Peter, who, by the way, is the rock, right? Jesus says to him, on you I'm going to build my church. And he does the first thing ever, the first choice ever in starting the church. He starts stepping into his role, even though his reputation is not a great one. 
He's sporadic. He says stupid things. He just blurts out what's on his mind. And Jesus, while he was still alive, was constantly telling him, nope, we're not going to do it that way. Nope, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it this way. And for 40 days, Peter sits and learns from Jesus, from the law, from the prophets, and from the Psalms of what needs to happen and what's going on and all the things that are going to happen in the future. And it's unbelievable that in verse 20, if you still have your Bibles open, that he sits there and he goes, we have to, so that scripture is fulfilled, we have to replace Judas. And he uses scripture to back it up. How often have you seen anything that Peter says in any of the uh, walking with Jesus on daily, does he ever go, well, maybe we should go back to Scripture? No, he goes off of what he thought is right. And in this very instant, when he is coming to the point of setting up the right, churches, the right choices for the church, he says, let's go back to Scripture. And so he pulls from two places. He pulls from 60, uh, Psalm 69, 25, and we're not going to go there, but I would like you guys to turn to Psalms 109 for me. And I don't have it on the screen because I want you to look at this in Scripture. So if you have somebody that's near you that has a Bible, I want you to get super close to them, all right? Just cuddle up right next to them because we're going to read this Scripture together. Psalms 109. And he's specifically quoting from verse 8, but um, we're going to read verses 1 through verse 8, and this is what it says. O God, whom I praise, don't stand silent and aloof. While the wicked slander me and tell lies about me, they surround me with hateful words and fight against me for no reason. I love them, but they try to destroy me with accusations, even as I am praying for them. They repay evil for good and hatred for my love. I find it, just as a side note, this is really fun for me, I find it curious that the reputation of how we want to kill Jesus about being a liar and a lunatic is exactly who we are. While they're wicked and slander me and tell lies about me, they surround me with hateful words and fight against me for no reason. And still Jesus is who exactly he is. I love them, but they try to destroy me with accusations. Even as I am praying for them, they repay evil for good and hatred for my love. They say, get an evil person to turn against him. Judas sent an accuser to bring, them, bring him to trial. When his case comes up for judgment, let him be pronounced guilty. Count his prayers as sins. Let his years be few. Let somebody else take his position. <laughs> Peter, the reputation of being brash comes and goes, no, I am going to go back to Scripture. And I'm going to start telling you why we need to replace Judas. 
And so then he gives them some things of here is our qualifications that we are going to do to replace Judas. And he tells them, he goes, we're going to qualify this person. So now this next person has a reputation that they need to uphold, right? In choosing this next person, they say it needs to be a person who follows, who is a follower of Jesus from the very beginning, so from the moment he was from the moment that Jesus was baptized to the moment that Jesus ascended into heaven, he's got to be with us the whole entire time. And secondly, that he wants them, uh, sorry, the first one is that he is with Jesus from the beginning. The second one is that he is personally interacted with the resurrected Lord. That after Jesus has come out of resurrection, Jesus has talked with them. That that person has seen the nail holes. That person has looked at this, the hole in his side where he was pierced. And I think the reason why he wants to do this is a couple reasons. And, and I didn't, I'm not leaving you guys any notes for these because I just I want to get through them rather quickly. And it's this, is that the apostles are going to be the source of all truth from here on out. They are going to set up the New Testament. They're going to set up what the truth is. And you can't have a person speaking truth if they haven't had firsthand experience. They are where the truth is going to come from about the resurrection of Jesus. They have to have a reputation to uphold. If they hadn't seen the resurrected Christ, man, nothing, their testimony doesn't hold up in court. If you've only heard about an accident and never actually seen the accident, we're not going to ask you to be on trial. And the second one, I think, is this, is that because they knew who Jesus was, these people are so convicted by the truth of Christ that they want to do whatever they possibly can to be witnesses. And so, out of all 120 people in this room, two people meet that qualification. Two people rise to the surface What happens when you, in your own life, now go, man, I built all these qualifications up. God, I've been trying to walk with you. I'm trying to keep our reputation well. And where am I going to, where am I going to go now? How do I make a choice? Because it's not a choice of right and wrong here. Both of them have done exactly the qualifications that they put together. How do you then choose the right thing? And this is what they do. They pray. Oh Lord, you know every heart. Show us which one of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry. For he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. They didn't make a, a really quick decision like they were prone to do. They first came back to what God had asked them, to what Jesus had asked them to do, and they prayed. 
And then it became to realize that this isn't a, 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 a good versus evil situation. This is a good, good situation. And I'm going to talk about this in a, a little bit more about what this means for us. But for right now, man, I, I look at this and I think this is a beautiful story in which they now have to trust God. Both of these men also who have good reputations aren't fighting over. They don't sit there and go, all right, well, this is why you should choose me and this is why you should choose me. They're going to continue to go the path that they've been continuing to go on, whether they get to be chosen as an apostle or not an apostle. And so this next part is the last time we see God stepping in and what we call casting lots. And I wanted to really focus hugely on this this week, but then I thought, you know, no, it's, it's actually not that important. But if you want to know what casting lots is, is uh, they, to, to make it the easiest, is they had dice. Now, I, I'm not going to get into all of the understanding about how when they th- threw these things, but the priest had some umam and some thumam. And they would uh, keep them in their pouches. And when they needed something to be answered after praying, after looking biblically, they would allow lots to be cast. You know, in fact, actually, some priests didn't use that. We see in the story of Jonah, right, the ship is going crazy and they're just trying to figure out who's, who's to blame for the huge storm. And what do they do? They throw everything overboard and they do all these different things. And Jonah comes up and he says, it's really my fault. It's my fault. And they go, no, we, we're not sure if it's really your fault, so we're going to cast lots. And they cast lots, and it fell on Jonah, and so they threw Jonah overboard. Really fun story. If you haven't read it, go read it. It's about mutiny. No, uh, but not really. Uh, but this is the last time that we see lots being cast um, in the New Testament. And I don't know if people continue to do it after that. We just don't see it in the rest of the Bible. But I think it's because it's setting up the Holy Spirit coming. And we're going to talk about that in the Pentecost because that's next week. The Holy Spirit coming and dwelling. But without the Holy Spirit, they did what was biblically asked of them. They sat, they made qualifications, they prayed And now they left it up to God and they said, God, would you guide us? And so they cast lots and Matthias came out on top. And so Matthias became the next apostle. But how does that relate to us today? How does that relate to us today? I wonder if you understand your reputation. I wonder if I understand my reputation. I think back at all the reputations that I've maybe had in the past and how people might look at me and go, hmm, okay, that's, yep, that's Seth Runner. Or, oh, well, that's just Seth Runner. Maybe some people say that about you. But after looking at this piece of scripture, I think not only for our church but for myself, I want to get to the point that exactly Peter does in this situation. Is is one, he goes back to the room and he says, we're not moving forward unless we start biblically living. And so I know that I wrote on there creating a foundation for the church to come, but I also want to put 
for you guys uh, in there, if you would, creating a foundation for our lives to come as well. And the first one is this, is that do you desire to live biblically? Do you have biblical living? When a situation comes up or a question that you might have a hard time answering, do you go to the Bible first or do you go to other people first? And not that other people aren't a good thing. In fact, actually, the Bible does talk about, hey, going and getting wise counsel. But is that the first place you go to? Do you know the scripture so well that if something came across your desk, you'd be like, yep, that's exactly how I'm supposed to live my life. I do some of my best thinking uh, on Sunday morning, and uh, I was just thinking this morning, I don't know if I know the scripture well enough that if somebody came to me and said, hey, where is, where is all of the scripture say about these things? Give me five verses for praying. Give me five verses on what the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about fasting. And I think that when I get to the point of biblical living, then I can say, nope, this is what God has called me to do, and I'm okay with that. Then it's not about an interpretation, well, this is what I think, or making us walk a half a mile only on Sabbath, right? We can't walk more than that, because that's what was happening. People were taking Scripture completely wrongly, and they didn't see a whole intent of everything going on. And the last point in moving forward and creating the foundation for us is that I want God to guide it. If I have a decision to make, I want to let the Bible completely have the qualifications and lay it out on the line. And I don't want to make a wrong or right choice anymore. I want it to be a right, right choice. And no matter what, I'm going to walk through it. And so when I have a biblical understanding of who I am as a Christian or how God has created me to be and something kind of throws me off kilter, I go, wait a second, what does the Bible said about me? When things come across politics-wise and we're sitting there going, well, this is what I think, man, no, what does God think? How do I pull that back in? And then, when God guides and things don't go exactly our way, it doesn't matter. Because we know that we've already set up everything for biblically living and allowing God to guide. And I want to leave you with a little bit of an encouragement today. Because to me, this seems really daunting because at first I looked at it and I go, well, then I have to memorize all 66 books so that I know all of Scripture so that I can be super smart. No, I, I don't think that's the point. The point is this, and if you're still taking notes with me, the people God chooses to empower aren't perfect, but they know, they know who Jesus truly is. What I mean by that is that they don't hem and haw over things. They say, this is Jesus and I'm truly following him. This is the way that I want to set up 
my life. And you need to understand that the plan of God is not complicated. It is not the... It is not so much trying to divine something or figure out how God has this huge plan and if I don't get this correct, I'm going to make huge mistakes. It is that God is telling us over and over again that he loves us and that he's walking with us and that he will send the Holy Spirit to help us. We don't have to somehow flip a coin anymore. We can ask Christ into our lives and the Holy Spirit fills us and we can go, nope, I'm walking with him. So I want to live biblically and I want to allow God to guide. I'm going to ask the ushers, not the ushers, the worship team to come forward. And I'm going to ask you uh, to think about this. What is your reputation? What is your reputation around town? What is your reputation with your family? What is your reputation with your friends? What is your reputation with God? Do you tell God you're going to do some things and then back out at the last second because it's not something that you'll enjoy or it's something that's a little bit harder than you thought it was going to be? Do you realize, like I told last week, and I I said you, us, do you realize that we have a reputation? That we're all witnesses and that every single part of our life is completely witnessing about Jesus. At every given moment, at every given time. And I think that Peter and the rest of the 120 wanted to get it right. Now, did they make mistakes later on? We find out in Acts that they do some things that might not be uh, the best things to be doing. But that's a part of learning and growing because then they ask for forgiveness and they move on. It's a completely different system. They, they are changed. And do you need a reputation change? It's not based on anybody else about what they think of you, but it is based on what God is calling your reputation to be. Because I think if I'm honest, I have a reputation with my kids. I have a reputation with my wife. I have a reputation with my colleagues. I have a reputation with all of you. I have a reputation with this community. And I wonder, are those the reputations I want? Are they biblically grounded? And are they God-guided? Let's be honest for a minute. If this was us in the book of Acts, I think what would have happened is this would have been all over social media, right? Oh my goodness, we need to replace the apostle. And then there'd been a bunch of tests that came out, like um, see who would be the best apostle. And it shows like these profile pictures next to your face and it's all cheesy. And then like, you know, you, do, you fill out the questionnaire and it's like 12 traits of an apostle. Could you be one? And so the whole town would be like filling out all of these profile things and sharing it. And see, I got the test. Not one of them would be going to scripture. 
It would just be a bunch of random things. And I think in our life, we, we, leave, uh, we, we leave the choice of, of is something biblical or not to the churchy people in our life. Maybe that's Seth, maybe that's me, maybe that's, that's somebody in your life. And, and, and rather than be biblically grounded, you're grounded in that person. You're grounded in the person that you have faith to read the Bible for you. Um, you're grounded in that friend that always shares the right things on Facebook and you read those articles because you trust those. The two things for a healthy church to be grounded in is biblical living and guided by God. And the example set by the apostles in, in chapter one of Acts is, is that we when, when we're going to be making decisions in our life, whatever those things are, we're going to pray first. We're going, to, we're going to talk to God first. We're going to open his word next. And then, and then we're gonna follow what he says through prayer and the Bible. And so the, this week, um, we, we started a series in youth group on the Bible. And so it's cool that this relates. Um, but the way I closed youth group this week was um, talking about this and I have a friend in Georgia, his name's Wendell. He was in the army with me, he has a couple kids. Um, he was a driver for a Bradley, he was actually the driver of the Bradley that got shot that I was supposed to be in, um, and he made it, he lived. Um, now he's a first sergeant. Do you guys feel like you have a good relationship with Wendell now that I've told you about him? Do you feel like he's your friend? No, of course not, that would be silly if you just listen to me on a Sunday to seek relationship with somebody I'm telling you about, right? That would be silly. God's sending you a message, not me, to you. He's sending you a personal love letter. We've gotta get in this to have relationship with Christ. We have to. And then we have to have faith to follow what it tells us to do. Let's pray. Lord, we want, we want to trust you. But I think we, we remember our past, we remember our failures, we know all the things that we're bad at. And Lord, that reputation that we have of ourselves, it just sticks with us. But Lord, through you, through Christ, we don't have to have that anymore. Lord, you give us the opportunity to talk to you as often as as we need to, and you are there. Lord, you give us the opportunity to listen as often as we need to, and you are there. So Lord, it may seem like a lot to ask, but we wanna take the steps that you want us to take, so Lord, can you help us to do that as well? Speak to us, help us hear, and then help us move. Lord, we're powerless and empty without you. May we be the church that you want us to be. Not because of a building, but because of a gathering of people all seeking after the same goal, and that is you and to share your glory, forgiveness, grace, love, and truth to the outer ends of the earth. We love you, Lord. We leave all these requests to the most level playing field there is, the foot of the cross. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.